You'll find your bulletin insert or turn with me in your NIV Bibles to our passage of Scripture today uh, found in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. We'll begin to read at the 26th verse of the first chapter and read through the fifth verse of the second chapter. We will use uh, your bulletin insert as a unison reading. We'll be reading the Word of God together. And for the benefit of those of you who were not here either last Lord's Day or the week before, uh, we've been in a three-part series. We're completing that today on emphases of worship. We talked about God's presence uh, the first week together. We're, uh, we talked about prayer uh, last week, and today we're talking about God's power and how that power is seen, not just in the gift of the Holy Spirit, but actually in the cross of, of Jesus Christ. And pay attention to those words as you read them here in the text because that's what Paul says. So let us read the Word of God together. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. When I was a student at Erskine Theological Seminary in the early 1980s, those were still the days, and I phrase it that way because they changed it, but those were still the days when seminary students were expected to lead two preaching practicums during their seminary career. And a preaching practicum was when you were scheduled a particular date in chapel and you were to lead the entire worship service, plan it from beginning to end, including the sermon and the scripture passage you would choose. And after the service was over, you would be critiqued by a professor in front of the entire student body and faculty, and once your professor was finished, then all your peers and all the rest of the faculty could weigh in and give their two cents worth 
on what you did well and what you did poorly. And one day, a student was scheduled for his first practicum, and no, it wasn't me. And it was always in your second year of studies that you had your first practicum. Uh, Believe me, nobody wants to hear a first-year seminary student preach a sermon, so you always given that your second year. And he held forth on some Old Testament text. I don't remember what it was, but I know it was in the Old Testament. And I remember the faculty member getting up after the service was over and he was sort of stumbling around for his words. He normally didn't have a problem saying what he wanted to say, but he was stumbling around because what we had just heard was really pretty bad. And he was looking for something positive to say about this young man's leadership in worship. And he tried to stay positive until he started talking about the sermon. And then he said that sermon could have been preached in any Jewish synagogue in the land and every Jew there would have welcomed it. And he went on to explain. See, there's no punchline here. He went on to explain that that sermon on that Old Testament passage really had not talked about Jesus at all. The whole purpose of preaching. The whole reason for the Old Testament and how it's pointing us all the way through from Genesis 3 all the way through the history through the prophets to what God is about to do in the person of Jesus Christ and His gift of love for all the world. Now, that kind of critique could never be made about the Apostle Paul. Paul's whole purpose in life was to proclaim the good news of the gospel as seen in the cross of Jesus Christ and his life offered up on that cross for the sins of the world. And we see the way that he mentions Jesus and the cross over and over again in his letters. And not only that, but also how that cross, how the good news of the gospel is part and parcel of God's power at work in the world. Just before our passage, in verse 18 of the first chapter, Paul writes that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Or think of Romans 1.16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. The power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. And then we just read in our passage how Paul resolved to know nothing while he was with them there in Corinth except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We see it again. Jesus and the cross. And Paul goes on to say, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but might rest on God's power. Now see, if we read between the lines there, we can see that Paul was not an entertaining preacher. 
He didn't use the form of wisdom rhetoric that I'm sure many people expected to hear when they went to hear a speaker in that cosmopolitan city of Corinth. It's not that he wasn't compelling or passionate about his subject. We know that he was. But he didn't use many of the tricks of the day to keep people interested in what he was saying. He was merely adequate as a speaker. In fact, Scripture confirms this. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, we can read where Paul writes that some in Corinth claimed about him that in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Maybe that's why he put Eutychus to sleep in the book of Acts. You remember that story? Paul just spoke on and on and on. Eutychus went to sleep and fell, fell out of the window. I figure if Paul can put people to sleep, so can I. (laughs) But as we can see from our text, Paul is this kind of speaker on purpose so that their faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He's simply recognizing and calling to our attention the truth that if any conviction is produced in any heart out there, any change brought about, it didn't come from anything that he said or did, but by the power of the Holy Spirit applying the truth of his message to the consciences of his hearers. And that's always the way it is because that's the way God works. As Paul reminds us in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. And what is heard comes by the preaching of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit uses the word of truth as it's heard to cause change in the hearts and lives of people just like us, just like you and me. I had someone tell me just a week ago about a sermon I preached some year and a half ago. I'm glad they could remember it because I couldn't. And how that sermon made such an impact on them that it caused them to sit down and think about what they were doing in their life and make some changes. And I really appreciated hearing about that. In fact, at first when I hear words like that, the the ego in me says, you know how you sometimes have a little voice there on your shoulder saying in your ear, you know, look, you really have good gifts and skills. You really are a fine preacher, but it's not that way at all, is it? The power of God's Holy Spirit takes the Scriptures and thus the words used as a sermon is written based upon those Scriptures and applies them to your hearts and lives. I'm convinced the Holy Spirit was already at work in this person's life and then used whatever words were spoken that day to confirm whatever was going on in their life because of God's Word and His truth and His power. And you see, this is the same thing Paul is talking about in this passage there in verse 4 where he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but through a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And we read that and we wonder, what kind of demonstration is he talking about? He's talking about changed lives that are walking all over the town of Corinth 
because of God's power at work in their lives through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul alludes to a little further on in the sixth chapter of this letter when he's talking about their behavior and says, Do not be deceived, neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy. And he goes on and gives a long list of vices there. He says, None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. That's why he preaches Christ and Him crucified because to those of us being saved, it's the power of God. Even though preaching the crucified Christ makes no practical sense. Paul says as much in this letter. In the first chapter, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. You see, this business of Christ dying by crucifixion, by hanging on a tree, was a great impediment to belief among Jewish people because they had been taught all of their lives what Deuteronomy 21 said, that anyone who is hanged on a tree is accursed in the sight of God. And so Jewish people just could not bring themselves to believe this against what Scripture said. And Jesus truly was accursed for your sins and for mine. Why do you think he says, my God, my God, why do you, have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22 right there from the cross. The Greeks were no better off than the Jews. The truth that Jesus was God and, and yet was on this earth in human form was mere foolishness to them. The last God a Greek wanted was somebody who was in human form like them with all of our weaknesses and limitations. It was sheer madness to go out and proclaim this kind of God to a Greek audience because once you made it clear that Jesus Christ was God and yet had become man, you'd, leave, you'd lose your whole audience. They'd just leave when they heard that. So why did Paul preach only Christ and Him crucified. Why, why does He do such an impractical thing? Is it not precisely because He wants it all to be about God and what He has done and not about us and what we have done? I mean, when we think about it, isn't that what worship is all about? Is worship not about what God has done what he's doing. We're ascribing worth to God during worship, talking about who God is, what he is, and what he's done. As we read through Israel's worship book, what we know as the book of the Psalms, that's what we see over and over and over again. Think of David's words in Psalm 9. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I'll tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will sing praise to your name. 
Psalm 98 continues that same theme of what God has accomplished. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done great things. Psalm 105 is similar. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him for all of His wonderful works. You get the picture. I mean, as you read through the Psalms, you see Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm saying this same thing. In worship, we're able to glorify God and remember and proclaim His mighty works because that's what worship is all about. God and and who He is and all He's accomplished and what He's continuing to do. So now, let's say I've convinced you. What do you do with all of that? I mean, is there some magic formula to experience God's power at work in your life? That's what the title of the sermon says. Is this false advertising how to experience God's power? Well, if the question is, is there some magic formula, I would say the answer is no. Because Jesus teaches us that the Spirit blows where He wills. And yet even though that's true, even though, we, even though we know that the Spirit goes where He wants to and does what He wants to do, we also know the truth of God's words where He says through the prophet Jeremiah, when you seek Me, you shall find Me if you search for Me with all your heart. And as we can see all through Scripture, one great way to seek God and to find Him is within worship. And as we come to worship, as we pray, it seems we can do some things to help prepare ourselves to meet God, to to put ourselves, if you will, in the proper frame of mind and heart. And the first is we have to remember that place from which we have come. Paul tells the Corinthians, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were influential. He's trying to help them remember the place from which they have come. He does the same thing with the Ephesians in the second chapter. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, you Ephesians, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, that's where we used to be, far off from God and without hope and without God in the world. But now we have been brought near through the blood of of Jesus Christ. And you see, we begin to realize beyond any shadow of a doubt that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, nor is there any reason for us to take credit for what God has done in our lives or is doing through us. And that's the second thing we need to remember, not to take credit. It's God doing the work. If we used to be far off, but now we've been brought near, somebody has been doing the bringing. And it's not us. Because we don't have that kind of conveyance built. 
within our sinful hearts and lives. It was God Himself through His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit. That's what Paul means in in Ephesians 2 when he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace, a gift. You've been saved through faith, a gift. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. He says much the same here in our passage. God did the choosing so that no human being might boast in His presence. Like David, like like the Apostle Paul, like so many in Scripture, we too need to recognize God and His work in our midst. That's the third thing we need to do. We not only need to remember the place from where we've come, we not only need to give God credit, but we need to recognize God always and His work in our midst. We're not remaking ourselves or studying the how-to books and somehow creating a better human within our hearts. God is working in our midst to more and more conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And until we become like Him in the next life where we literally see Him face to face, that's what Scripture says, I think it'd be interesting to see what the face of a spirit really looks like. But until we do that, we rest in His power and trust in His faithfulness. Now you may be saying, well, I don't ever seem to experience the power of God in my spiritual life. What's wrong? I don't ever seem to experience God's power. If you said that to me, I would ask you another question. I would say, how often do you pray for God's power? At a joint officers meeting several months ago with the elders and the deacons, we talked about that very thing. How important it is for us as leaders of this church to every single day pray that the power of God would empower us and infuse us that day to do what God was calling us to do. And as we discussed last week in talking about prayer, we have not, Scripture tells us, because we ask not. As we pray for God's power to be at work in our lives, as we rely faithfully on Him and His work, and as we look for and are attuned to His power, we will experience it, even and especially in our times of weakness. For as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 12, the good news is that Jesus teaches us that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That's why Paul could say, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. May we do the same to God's honor and glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.